and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's Alberta Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Janet French. It is Friday, November 8th, 2019, and this is episode number 297, the Premier's Pancake and Plain Party Edition. We will now proceed to say as many positive words as we can that contain or begin with the letter P, for we love alliteration on the Press Gallery. Isn't that true? Positively. Positively. In front of me, <laughs> looking perky, um, sweeter than syrup on your plain pancakes, is Lisa Johnson, who is a reporter who's joined me down this week at the legislature. Are you having fun yet? Hi, Janet. Yes, I'm having so much Sweet. fun. Nice. Yeah, it's been a fun week. Very busy. Next to her is our boss, managing editor Dave Breckenridge. How are you doing? He shrugged. I'm positively perky? I don't know. I'm... No, at least that it was, was perky. That was a pregnant pause. Okay. There, it, was a, it was a pregnant pause. Ooh, pregnant pause. Um, I'm good. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Lacking peas, but I'll take it. <sighs> Always a delight. Next to me, Keith Jarine, our legislature columnist. Good morning. Good morning. I am perfunctory and Ooh. also punctual. No, he's not. He's really <laughs> not punctual, guys. Uh, do we like pancakes thin or thick? I don't like pancakes at all, to be What's honest with you. Oh, my God. I no. I'm, I'm a terrible person. French toast person? More. Yeah, more, yeah. yeah waffles? more French toast. Waffles? Yeah. yeah. Go Who does like pancakes? What kind of monster are you? Yeah, no. I like fluffy pancakes. <gasps> no, thin. I'm in the thin pancake Like crepes club. thin or? No, no, like like kind of skinny. Okay. Not, not like well, crepes, I don't mind but... skinny, but yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't want like, you know, you've seen those viral videos or a tasty... Yeah. BuzzFeed Tasty, where they make a pancake that's like four inches thick. No, that's wrong. (laughs) Wrong. That's a lot of dough. Anyway, while we ramble on about uh, breakfast stuffs, um, it was another breakneck week in provincial politics in Alberta. Uh, Every day, we discovered more and more and more and more implications to the provincial budget that came out a a couple of years ago. It felt like a couple like of years ago, a couple, yeah. couple weeks ago. Was it two yeah. weeks ago? I can't even remember. Time has no meaning. It, no, it's it just stops in the dome. There are mm-hmm. no clocks. It's like mm-hmm. a time warp. Einstein doesn't apply. Uh, so we discovered some more interesting little um, implications of that budget. And it just seemed like every day there were a few new little nuggets that dropped out about it. So we're going to talk about those. There was also a very interesting private members bill that was tabled on Thursday that is causing a lot of discussion. It is about doctors' conscience rights, and that is causing a bit of a ruckus for people who are concerned about access to abortion or the ability to have medical aid in dying. We will also touch on that. But first, let us start off with the revelation that has inspired the title of this week's podcast. Yesterday, uh, we heard from Alberta's former premier and opposition leader, NDP leader Rachel Notley, that in July, current premier... Jason Kenney, used a private charter plane to fly himself, three other, quote, like-minded premiers, a couple of their wives, and many of these premier senior staffers from a meeting in Calgary around about the time of the stampede to the Council of the Federation meeting of all the Canadian premiers in Saskatoon. And the taxpayers, or the citizens of Alberta, paid for this flight, which is unusual and doesn't follow typical expense procedures. Uh, It cost about $16,000. And uh, Notley was very happy to lob this expense uh, at the premier in a very tense and interesting 
budget estimates meeting yesterday. Normally, those meetings are interesting, but this was a real it was this was a real twist to an estimates meeting. Um, so Scott Moe, the Premier of Saskatchewan, his wife, uh, and then the Premier of the, the former Premier of Northwest Territories, Bob McLeod, who is technically nonpartisan, um, and uh, also Blaine Higgs, who is the Premier of New Brunswick. Moe and Higgs are both conservative premiers. They were all on that plane after this meeting in Calgary where they strategized how they were going to approach things at the Council of the Federation meeting in Saskatoon. Uh, Ontario Premier Doug Ford was also at that meeting, but he took a commercial flight from Calgary to Saskatoon. So why do we care? Why do we care if everybody's on the plane? It's not that everybody's on the plane. It's... I don't know. Like they all catch a flight together. Like it's, it's all taking a cab to the airport. It'd be a big cab. Um, I think the reason that we care um, is because this is a government that's talked about the serious financial burden Alberta is under, and he's asking other groups to take pay cuts, or he's asking certain departments to manage uh, more with the same more work or more students with the same amount of money. And you can't be taking chartered flights and paying the freight for a bunch of other premiers and their spouses when you're asking the public and the public sector to do that. Um, And it's not just the NDP that was, that was teeing off on this. It was uh, the Canadian taxpayers federation, um, who basically said the similar things is that, you know, you're, you're rightfully so you're cutting the size of government or you're trying to save the government money, or you're trying to reduce the government debt. Uh, you can't very well turn around and expense $16,000 on a charter flight when there are several commercial flights a day between Calgary and Saskatoon. And on top of that is, this is how I look at it. Don't those other premiers have their own tax payer base to bilk for a charter flight? Why do we have to pay, you know, not that I'm... I'm sure they use the word bilk when they file their expenses. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) like not, can they pay us back out of their expenses? Like, why are we footing the bill for them? The only person who had to be at the Council of Federation on time is the host. Doug, actually, Doug Ford was late. Yeah. So, you and know. The, the event that they were sort of rushing to was actually on a First Nation in northern Saskatchewan that was organized by the government of Saskatchewan. It wasn't even an official Council of the Federation event. I mean, it nice was it, it optional, is nice of them I guess, to go. So to say. Yeah. You, you figure they probably could have organized their schedule in a different way to actually catch a commercial, commercial flight. flight. The other option here would be to say, hey, There is this charter option, everyone, you know, maybe this ends up being the economical way to go or the convenient way to go, but guess what? We'd ask you to pay for it. So Saskatchewan, this is your charge, you know, um, Manitoba, this is your charge. If there's any Manitobans on the plane, Northwest Territories, this is your charge. Do you want to do this? Right? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say everybody needs to pay their share here. And for the government to just say, no, this is going to be our, our treat, our, hosp- our hospitality, that does seem uh, a bad thing. This is not, this is the kind of thing that drives Albertans nuts. You can, <laughs> you know, you can deliver a lot of, uh, a lot of bad news to Albertans, but when you are seen to be 
living a little high off the hog when you are spending money unnecessarily, especially when you're a government that has come into power claiming that you are not going to do that anymore and that everybody has to uh, share some pain to balance the budget. Uh, this is the kind of thing that I think really drives people crazy. Uh, so I, I think I, I think uh, the NDP seized on this with a, a certain amount of glee. Delight. Delight. Joy. Yeah. It was a fascinating budget estimates meeting. It really was. I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, this is the debate we should have had during the election. It was two, <laughs> it was two premiers, one current, one former, uh, really going at each other. I, it was to Natalie's advantage because she gets to control her time, right? She gets to control the, the conversation during those, that budget meeting. But uh, she was in really fine form. And I think a lot of NDP supporters would say, where was this Rachel Notley on, you know, a debate night uh, back in uh, back in April? So uh, anyway, fascinating to watch two uh, very experienced, very well-spoken politicians kind of going at each other in a in a meeting room uh, during a meeting that probably most Albertans didn't see. Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing about the, the planes that kind of, especially in Alberta, we're sensitive about governments and their planes. Everyone remembers Premier Allison Redford. Who? Uh, uh, ex- <laughs> well, I mean, people may want to forget Premier Allison Redford, but basically, you know, the the audit into her use of government planes, uh, basically it was her own personal flight. Like she did flights with her daughter to Jasper. Uh, they would book fake passengers on a flight manifest. Then at the last minute, all those uh, passengers would cancel. So she'd have the plane to herself. Um, and then, you know, going back to Ralph Klein, uh, you know, they, the Klein Tories really overdid the flights. Um, they, they used them to, to fly themselves and their spouses and their friends around so much that they had to be barred from the aircraft. (laughs) Non-government members had to be barred from the aircraft unless they were going on government business. And so with all of that in mind, you would think that a seasoned politician like Jason Kenney would know not to have anything to do with the optics of chartering a bunch of premiers and their spouses nah, around. But he was in Ottawa. He was busy, you know, dealing uh, with immigration anyway. and stuff. Like that. Well, okay. But the interesting thing is Jason Kenney's response, right? He was very, um, if he was caught off guard by this, he didn't show it and was very unapologetic. He's saying, I'm not going to apologize for this. We're very hospitable in Alberta. And he said, those politicians did us a favor by coming to Alberta, meeting in Alberta, and we agreed to together advance Alberta's interests. What do you think about that uh, That argument that those politicians were doing us a favor and that is why the people of Alberta should pay for them to fly to Saskatoon? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it flies. I think that... Ah. You know, again, and this is, this isn't just like the NDP beating up on the government. Like I know that the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, depending on who you ask, is either a great watchdog for the public purse or a front group set up by wealthy interests to lobby for small government. But it's, this is, that's the organization Jason Kenney worked for when he fought the Klein government on pensions. They've come out against this. Our post-media columnist, Lauren Gunter, who, uh, writes for the Edmonton Sun, who is not a fan of the NDP. Why? And, we, you know, and he's, he wrote a piece today where basically this is the start of his column. If you're a cost-cutting premier who is asking the public sector workers to take a pay cut and telling municipalities, universities, and other institutions to get by with less, you might want to avoid booking expensive chartered flights on a short hop route for which there are at least a dozen commercial flights at various times every day. Yep. Being, like being polite van? to other premiers doesn't factor in here. I don't think it's a good answer from the premier. Um, 
again, is it as bad as Alison Redford's misuse of government planes? Probably not. Is no. it as bad as the Klein Tories misuse of government planes? Definitely not. However, there's an optics issue at play here and the public can wrap their minds around a charter flight or a $16 glass of orange juice a lot better they can, than they can wrap their minds around big money issues, right? This is why these things are important. It's very yeah. tangible. So I don't necessarily think that the premier's response is great. I mean, good on him. They were hosting, they were doing us a favor. Uh, I, I, you know, I commend Kenny's work for trying to get other premiers on side to, uh, lobby for Alberta with the federal government or to stand up for Alberta on other issues. Those are all good things. On this instance, I don't think his excuse meets the mark. Janet, remind me how pancakes fit into this again? Pancakes. Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the, <laughs> why are we talking about flapjacks, crepes? such foodstuffs, um, because they were all at a photo opportunity in Calgary. In addition to this pre-premier's meeting, premier's meeting, they went and did, they all put on their typical white cowboy hats and their white aprons, and they all served pancakes at a pancake breakfast at the Calgary Stampede. That's why we're talking about pancakes. Way less delicious than pancakes, uh, or more delicious, uh, like women's rights and uh, conscience rights. That was a terrible segue. <laughs> I'm running with it. Uh, we had... Private member's bills. Interesting. It's it's a crapshoot. You never know what you're going to get in, in a private member's bill. Uh, and this week, we saw one from Dan Williams of Peace River. We had heard rumblings about this, that somebody was going to maybe, some backbencher was going to maybe do something about abortion rights or reproductive rights or conscience rights. And so finally, on Thursday, we had a look at Bill 207, which, like I said, is from Peace River MLA Dan Williams. And... Um, what does it do, Lisa? What does it do? What does I mean, it do? What, what are, doesn't it do? What, what, what is this thing? What is he, what is he getting at here? He, so, well, I need to be really careful explaining this, I think. Um, As do we all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the press gallery was like so abuzz uh, yesterday afternoon. It was huge. And which is ironic because we never actually got to talk to MLA Williams after the vote. He uh, ran away. The first reading vote. Um, and we never really got to uh, sit down and talk about it with a lot of the other MLIs or ministers. We, we talked to them in the in the inns when they were like headed into question period. <laughs> and they did not want to talk about this. They all they said, weren't too keen. haven't seen the bill yet. Sorry, got to go. Super busy. Bye. They weren't too keen. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, MLA Williams has said that uh, the point of it is to reaffirm uh, healthcare providers' charter rights, um, which, you know, critics will say they already have uh, professional organizations that that uh, regulate how they serve uh, patients. Um, but basically, it adds, what it does is it adds uh, the one little phrase, conscious beliefs or conscientious beliefs into the Alberta Human Rights Act, uh, right next to religious beliefs. So it would be a protected grounds if some like you couldn't you couldn't fire somebody from a job for exercising their their conscience right conscience, conscience conscientious yeah. beliefs yeah yeah I need to refresh myself on the difference between conscientious and conscience <laughs> and consciousness am I conscious are any of us uh, after I, this week I'm not sure yeah maybe not <laughs> uh, yeah basically giving a little bit of an added layer of protection to doctors who 
might want to say, you know what, I'm not super comfortable uh, providing uh, this abortion to this particular person right now. Um, or like so that referring they w- them. Or referring, that's, which is yeah, part of the law the as question. it exists. Yeah. So is he given any indication of why? Like, is he hearing from doctors or why, why is he after, – after hearing, you know, the UCP in the election campaign saying we're not going to legislate on social issues, it's – that's – that's not we're here for jobs, pipelines, the economy, et cetera. Um, and to be clear, this is not a government bill. This is very much his own initiative. What What is he hearing that makes him think that we need to wander into this territory? Well, he said he's heard from doctors and, and doctors groups saying that this is a, a serious concern. Um, MLA David Shepard, who is the NDP critic for health, uh, kind of countered back and said, we never heard this concern. We never heard a peep about this. Um, so kind of questioning that rationale. Um, there are certainly groups and physicians on side with it. Um, and, and they've come out in support of it. Um, but there's also uh, an intense amount of criticism and worry on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are people worried about with this bill? Um, so MLA Janice Irwin in particular is worried uh, that it's going to threaten LGBTQ access to health care, which she says is already an issue and that that's a, an issue that she hears um, from constituents about that, that they have difficulty accessing things as they are, especially in rural areas and remote areas. Um, so that's a concern. There's also concern from groups about um, people being able to access medically assisted uh, medical assistance in dying. Um, so there's a lot of, I guess, fear around it. Um, Emily Williams has said that it would not, in a practical way, affect access. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the concern. So in his former life, before he was a columnist, Keith <laughs> wrote a lot of things about medical aid and dying. I did. Um, and perhaps you can fill us in on, like, what are the rules right now for doctors? Where, what, what are they allowed to? What, what are, can they say yes or no to things they're not comfortable with? And what are they yeah. supposed to do? Yeah, conscience rights are protected. Uh, they're already protected. They're protected. Uh, a lot of people would say in the charter, but they're also protected in uh, codes of conduct and 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 rules uh, put in place by the College of Physicians and Surgeons and other uh, health professions. And it basically says, yeah, if you have a moral or religious objection to performing a particular medical service, you don't have to provide it. You do have to uh, not abandon your patient, though. You do have to put that patient in contact with someone who can help them. And so that's kind of worked. Uh, there have I have not been aware of any situation in Alberta that's at least come into the news where uh, someone has been denied a medical service because a, a physician or a nurse practitioner, for example, uh, had a moral objection to it that they, you know, those patients are are, are treated. Uh, they they find a way to do it, and and so to me. I, I don't get this. I don't I don't know how this moves the goalposts in any way for for doctors or health professionals that gives them added protections more than what they already have. Uh, there may be a very rare circumstance, perhaps in a rural or remote area, that could come up where somebody's right or desire to have a medical service comes in conflict with a doctor's objection to it. And in that case, the, that doctor might be the only doctor for 50 or 60 or 80 miles. 
so that's the only scenario I can think of that would potentially uh, cause a, a patient distress. And in that case, uh, I would think, um, maybe the courts would disagree with me, that the patient's rights actually do come first. But that it is so rare, um, and I, I, to the point that I have not heard of a single case coming up where this has been an issue. So politically, I don't understand what this is accomplishing. I, I see no upside here for the UCP. Uh, other than maybe sending sending a little bit of virtue signaling to some of the social conservatives in the party, but this is going to kick up a hornet's nest. This allows the NDP to kick the UCP to ask them questions about where their views are on abortion, mm-hmm. where their views are on same-sex marriage, on any kind of reproductive rights, on trans uh, transgender issues. Uh, this is, uh, I think, just a bad idea from Dan Williams. And I, I'd really love to be a fly on the wall in the premier's office right now wondering how they're going to deal with this. And that was my question for Dave is like, politically, what are the potential implications of this for the for the government? Well, I mean, it, it does put the premier in a, in a tricky situation. Um, he, he said that the government won't legislate on uh, contentious social issues. So does that mean uh, executive council? Won't legislate. They're talking about the premier. Define government, air quote. The premier and cabinet won't legislate on it. Will cabinet ministers abstain from voting on it or will they vote against it? Um, He is Kenny in a position to criticize Williams or does that potentially stoke anger within certain elements of the conservative base who feel very strongly about these issues? Um, we already saw what happened with the UCP when it walked out on mass, uh, related to the NDP's bill nine, which was the bubble zone bill. They just refused to, to vote on it. And I think they took a, some political political hits on that. The NDP has never let them forget it. No. And it and, came and, up yesterday. <laughs> and so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is this an issue that the majority of Albertans are really going to spend time worrying about? Probably not. I, you know, and I think that's probably what the government is hoping for in this case. Even, I'm giving you side eye because you don't have a uterus. No, I just mean like <laughs> looking at Je- like female Albertans may, may but worry even about this? but they may. I'm not saying that it's not an issue. I'm just I'm saying that four years from now, when we go back to the polls, when are anyone people remember, gonna get upset yeah. that they brought in a conscience rights private members bill? Among any number of things that are going on right now, there's well, like there's a it, potential for labor strife uh, yeah. in dealing with unions. There's p- potential for cuts at universities. There's all of these other things. I'm not saying this isn't an Im- important issue to many people. I'm just saying that are they making a political? Is there a political calculation here that in four years no one will be paying attention to what Dan Williams did? in the fall of 2019. I, the thing that I'm curious about is what does it apply to? What is conscientious beliefs, conscientious beliefs, sorry. Or conscience rights. Conscience yeah. rights. What yeah. does that apply to? Do, do doctors get to refuse if someone comes in looking for a prescription for birth control? Yes. That does, is theoretically yeah, on the you table. Know, does yep. all of these things that are, I think, important healthcare issues for people. And I don't, I, I the Ontario courts have ruled uh, that doctors must refer patients to someone else. And there's a group of doctors in Ontario who feel that that uh, still infringes on their rights. But the courts have ruled 
this is fair compromise. I don't see an issue with fair compromise. If someone comes to you, uh, they're not married, they want birth control, you don't believe in premarital sex, and you say, well, I don't want to prescribe you birth control. I think you should, as someone who is billing the public for medical services, should have to refer them to somebody else. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right on that one. Uh, I mean, there's an argument to be made that if you have some issues with abortion, uh, reproductive health, and so on, maybe you shouldn't be an OBGYN. Very uh, true. Uh, you know, uh, it sometimes comes up in the case of marriage commissioners that, uh, you know, if you have an, uh, an objection to same-sex marriage, maybe you shouldn't be a marriage commissioner. The last time this came up really was around the issue of MAID, as Lisa mentioned, uh, medical aid in dying. And we did, I, I remember going to a press conference at the, the, the Catholic Archdiocese uh, with the with the archbishop there, and they did have some doctors and medical professionals there who were worried that they would be forced to perform medical aid in dying, or assist with it, or even refer. And they thought referring to somebody was complicity, right? And the, the Catholic arch <laughs> archbishop actually confirmed that they did say that that was you were complicit if you. Oh, did, they it, like right out and yes, wow. yeah. So it, it, there was some fear on that part of it. I think the fear was a little unjustified. Alberta has come up with a system for made that has worked pretty well. If someone requests uh, in a Covenant Health facility, and Covenant Health does not perform uh, made in, in its uh, facilities, but if someone there, for example, wants uh, to be assessed for medical aid in dying, there is a number you call. And Alberta Health Services has a team they dispatch and they take over the process. And mm -hmm. that's worked very well. There have been a few, in, still a few incidents with Covenant about whether you're even allowed to have your assessment in the facility, right? And that we saw some- uh, The bus people, stops, uh, Yeah, people having to go out to bus stops to get assessed. Uh, Covenant has, I think, learned its lesson and, and decided that that is probably bad PR. And so some, some of those assessments for the really, really frail and weak patients can occur um, in, in a Covenant facility. So I do, get, I, I do get the fear a little bit from some of the medical professionals that do have an objection to these things, but I think it is quite overblown. I think they do have adequate protections and there are adequate compromises, as da Dave said, to allow them to uh, keep their, their morality intact. I want to move on from this uh, to the deluge of additional information that we learned this week about the implications of the UCP government's first provincial budget. Um, I couldn't make a, an entire list of all the little nuggets that, of, of information that wafted out this week, but just to run down a couple of the, 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 their greatest hits, um, we learned about some changes in the Ministry of Children's Services. So, for example, that uh, they're ending all the contracts across the province with every like nonprofit or um, municipal provider who runs parent link centers that helps. Uh, these are kind of prevention programs that help uh, prevent kids from getting apprehended by by. Uh, social workers. Uh, it's kind of to try and keep families together and prevent it from getting to that stage. So it's parenting classes, that kind of thing. They're just ending all the contracts and retooling that whole system and changing who's going to do what. And maybe some of those providers will end up with the contracts again. We'll, we'll see. Uh, so that was a little bit disruptive to, to some of those organizations. Uh, we also learned that uh, people who receive benefits for kin care and stay-at-home care through Children's Services, those payments are going to end at the end of 2019. We learned that uh, repelling firefighters, which I did not even know was a thing, uh, they jump out of airplanes on ropes, 
Sounds cool. And now that I know that this job exists, I want like, to apply why? for it. But Did I, I not can't. be a repelling firefighter? Yeah. Why am I in the studio doing mm-hmm. journalism? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> everyone's just chuckling sadly to themselves now. Um, the repel firefighters are not going to train them anymore. So now they're just going to be good old ground firefighters and general helicopter business. Uh, and also, in a completely different vein, five of the newly announced school construction projects are going to be public-private partnerships. I'm so, shocked you didn't go to that first because it starts with a P. Oh. Three, three P's, in fact. Opportunity loss. Public-private yeah. partnerships. I have clearly failed. And I can't even think of a word for fail that starts with P. Jeez. Okay. What else did we hear this week? What else did we learn that trickled out of the budget that was not immediately apparent to us on budget day? I don't know. There's been so much. It's it's hard to keep track. I mean, this is this is something that th- this isn't just with this budget. There, anytime there is a federal or provincial budget, there's always going to be little nuggets that you that get rolled out. I think the difference right. the difference here with the UCP budget is a lot of them are cuts, or a lot of them right. are or being seen as cuts. Or, you know, it's, well, where else are we going to take a hit? I think that's what's different about this because, you know, the budget day is all big picture mm-hmm. and what's the deficit and what's the debt and what is the oil price that you're projecting and what is our revenue projection and what are taxes and all of those things. And then as you go along, it's like, well, what's going on in this department and that department? I, I think that, um, I, I know Keith, you'd wrote, written in your column that it was possibly by design to let all these little cuts come out. I also feel that the the opposition was hoping for something like this as opposed to getting all the bad news out of the way right away, that they would have uh, little things with which to whack at Kenny and the UCP oh, on Oh, it is the gift cuts. that keeps on giving you know, so, the opposition. Yeah, but it, it, is, it is a case of will people remember half of these things six months from now? Probably not. That That's sort of the problem. I, I think it partly it's the volume. Like th- th- we haven't seen a budget like this in quite some time in terms of actually cutting overall spending. So within that- 25 years. 25 years. So within that envelope, yeah, there's going to be a lot of different cuts and reorganizations and consolidations and so on. And I mean, to be fair to the government, you can't throw that all out on budget day. It would be insane, logistically insane for them, uh, comprehensively insane for anyone trying to to cover that uh, in the media and the opposition. But since then, yeah, there's it's been really, really hard to keep track, right? As Dave said, budget day was kind of on the high level stuff, right? We, we picked off the low-hanging fruit, uh, municipalities taking a hit, uh, post-secondary education in particular taking a hit, infrastructure. Uh, and then we had bills 20 and 21 right after that. Uh, we had the information about the, you know, the tax bracket creep, um, all the different legislative and administrative changes they want to make to funds and tax credits, uh, the, how they want to deal with doctors in the, in the, in the future. We got the, the news of, hey, let's uh, start negotiating with public sector unions in public by asking for wage rollbacks, 2 to 5%. Um, and then this week, as Janet mentioned, right, there's all the stuff in children's services. There was the firefighters. I'm losing track. There are more <laughs> and more things, right? The t- the pension fund, right? That that controversy is going on, right? So how do you get a sense of all this, right? How do you keep it track? What's the what's the big picture here, right? And are they hoping we'll lose track? And 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 in my view, it it does help them. Whether it's by design or not, it's hard to know. The premier's office would say it isn't, but. I, the effect of it is it keeps everyone off balance. It keeps everyone dizzy trying to understand the implications of these things. And I think it's dangerous because 
you don't get to truly understand how someone who is on a senior's drug plan who might be losing their benefits, how that really impacts them or what the impact is of a delay of an infrastructure project or ACE recipients who are going to have less disposable income now because their, their uh, inflationary uh, increases are stopping. Uh, so you don't get a sense of the implications of all that. There isn't time because we've moved on to the next controversy and the next controversy. And I think it really increases the risk of bad policy getting through without any possible, uh, without enough, uh, enough look at it, enough comprehension to, uh, to stop it from going through and maybe preventing the UCP from having to walk it back at some point if it doesn't work out the way they think it will. Janet mentioned the wafting nuggets, and there are so many... <laughs> Did I say wafting nuggets? You said nuggets were wafting out. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of those begin with P. I've failed. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, tidbits uh, that we're learning about. Um, I'm learning a lot watching committees as they go through these budget estimates and break down all of the budget item lines. And because a lot of the stuff, like the, the budget is is a broad strokes um, budget lines. And there's a lot of detail to go through and figure out what's still there, what's being cut, what's getting a little bump up. Um, it's certainly not in the main budget document. It certainly doesn't list it program by program. No. It's very high level budget lines. Anyway, sorry. Mm-hmm. On. Definitely. And and one example I, I can give too is in Indigenous relations. Um, we're still learning about uh, cuts, for example, the urban initiatives program we learned this week uh, will likely cease to exist. Um, but there's one thing that that is actually completely invisible in the budget, and that's the Aboriginal Oppor- Investment Opportunities Corporation, which is a $1 billion uh, loan corporation. Except the actual budget line is like $12 million or $16 million. She's pointing a finger at me. $6 million dollars per Six year million. in administrative right. yes. costs okay. um, and capacity building, uh, which over four years will be $24 million. Um, but that loan corporation does not appear anywhere on the budget because if it goes all according to plan, the loans will be paid back and the government won't spend a dime. So that's one of those kind of um, announcements that seems like it's a, a, a government investment, but it... The actual dollars flowing is a smaller number of dollars than it sounds like because it's a loan guarantee, right? Mm-hmm. Mostly loan guarantees, like mom and dad co-signing your car loan. Yeah. And it, you I, don't actually get a car's amount of money from your parents when they co-sign your car loan. Bad news, kids. Bad news, kids. Bad news. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Richard Fian, uh, the NDP MLA, the, the critic for Indigenous relations, has brought this up again and again in committee. And, you know, I mean, a fund, funding is not the same uh, as a loan. It's you can you can, you know, point to it as something that that might have a huge positive effect. Um, in fact, Fian said that he supported it. I mean, he voted for it. He voted for that bill um, and hopes that it's going to have a really good positive effect for business development in Aboriginal communities. But at the same time, it's not a grant. And there are seven programs uh, that are no longer um, delivering important programming, a lot of people would argue, to Indigenous communities from solar panels to energy audits um, that was previously funded through the carbon tax, the carbon levy. And you have to pay loans back. Yes, that's what sucks about them. I know, the worst. Anyhow, not the worst is our good stuff from the gallery, uh, which I will just go bounce right back to Lisa and ask her what she read this week or saw or listened to or heard or consumed that was good. I started reading a book this week. (gasps) 
No. And I was very um, – and I, I'm struggling to, like, find a way to describe it that will actually sell it to people because it's a book about the internet and how <gasps> – The internet? <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's a series of tubes, right? The yes. Internet? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, this uh, New Yorker staff writer named Gia Tolentino uh, wrote a book of essays. It's a collection of essays um, kind of about her relationship with with social media, but all of our relationship with it, um, especially when, I mean, every day there's, there's mild hysterics um, <laughs> about anything and everything. There's an unlimited supply of terrible information, um, but at the same time, the way we project ourselves in that sphere has become this essential commodity in the whole system. Um, and there's something about just a really good essay. That, <laughs> um, I mean, she never she ends up being like a little bit cynical about it, um, sometimes positive, but mostly cynical about where we're headed. But she's really just like exploring. Janet, what is the, uh, the, the word essay mm. comes from a French root. You have better uh, French than I do. <laughs> my uh, knowledge of French linguistics does not uh, extend to that level, I would say. <laughs> is fair? Yeah. I believe, and I hope I'm not wrong about this, but it comes from the French verb essay, which is to yeah. try. So okay. it's really just like an exploration of, of these ideas. And I haven't read an essay like the essays in this book for a while. They're really, really intriguing. So The love for the essay the lo- awesome. I do have love a love for the essay. essay. Oh, the, the book has a name too, which I oh, haven't cool. mentioned. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a good. That we should include that. Hey? It's called Trick Mirror. Okay. Moving on to Dave. What you got for us? I have, I guess, what you could call an essay. It's a it's a column in Maclean's magazine from Jen Gerson. Uh, it's a very interesting piece. The headline is Why So Many Albertans Are Giving Up on Their Country. I don't think the headline is a good reflection of what she writes about. The subhead is. Wexit reflects a cartoon version of the province that other Canadians find easy to attack because it spares them the burden of self-examination. And so she writes it not as a defense of Alberta in the, like, they're running through the reasons of why Albertans may be discontented. She looks more at why Alberta is such an easy target. And this is just a, a, a sample from it. If you view the province as a collection of regressive hicks whose only claim to wealth is that they were lucky enough to be born on valuable dirt, then it becomes very easy to decimate that wealth, or at the very least, to greet the crisis playing out in this province with smug contempt. The oil crash of 2014 and subsequent economic decline becomes a manifestation of divine justice. It's a very, it's a fairly provocative, but it does look at how the way that other Canadians view Alberta as um, a way to kind of dismiss concerns we may have with the treatment of the province from the Trudeau government and other governments. I knew there was going to be a Wexit think piece in here somewhere. There's been a lot of them. But you have to get through, she starts off with the Wexit rally that was here. And I, I, you know, Mm. I think that once people start talking about make Alberta great again hats and, and the leader of the Wexit movement and that other readers may lose interest, but it's a once cartoonish, you right? get past the cartoonishness, and I think it's a very thoughtful piece. Huh, cool. I'm going to interject myself here to, to make two recommendations. Um, one is, is as Keith previously mentioned, this executive council committee meeting. I think you should watch it online. If you're a it's politics lit. watcher and you didn't watch it, I'm going to put a link to it in there because it is just 
I was just sitting there typing my tweets away, just being like, this is the best day ever. It was so fun. Anyway, just really like politics discourse at its finest. It was great. And uh, and the committee chair did very little to actually intervene, even though they weren't they were at best like tenuously connected to the reason why they were actually in the, in the meeting, which was to journalists advantage and, um, you know, possibly not by the rule book. But anyway, uh, and my other recommendation is um, a children's book because um all of you at this table have been to my house for dinner at some point, and and two of you have been forced to read uh, a book about chickens to my child, <laughs> and they're really really funny. And so there's a series of books by Doreen Cronin called The Chicken Squad, and uh, they read kind of like a whodunit like mystery of the backyard. What's going to happen to the chickens? And they are just delightfully crafted and I love them. And both Lisa and Keith have given outstanding readings of these books to my child. So thanks guys. Keith, in addition to your <laughs> chicken uh explanations, what, what else you got? Those those chicken books are long too. It's like oh I this, know I can't believe are we reading a chapter of this? Thing. No, the whole thing? Okay, great. <laughs> All right. But it was well uh, worth it. It was well worth it. You should hear Lisa's rendition. Yes. It was really, uh, really excellent. I was uh, going to recommend a couple of things, but Dave stole my first one. Uh, oh, no, it Dave. is it, it is good. It is it is a very good piece by Jen Gerson. Even if you don't agree with all of her uh, viewpoints in that, it, it is very good. I'm gonna uh, recommend uh, actually something by Dave's brother, <laughs> good old Rob Breckenridge. <laughs> down in Calgary. Um, so this did not, Dave did not uh, suggest this to me. I came to it on my own. Uh, and it is a, a column he wrote uh, for the Calgary Herald, I believe it was the Herald, about this idea of Alberta uh, opting out of the Canada pension plan and setting up its own pension plan, which is an idea that Jason Kenney is now kind of running with uh, and exploring. Uh, and it, it, it is an interesting idea that Alberta might be able to use to put a little pressure on the rest of the country, uh, maybe get the rest of the country to wake up to some of our issues. There's also a great uh, Canadian press piece that kind of looks at the ins and outs of this, uh, talks to an economist who thinks it's actually a terrible idea and gives Alberta no benefit. But it is an interesting debate. And I think it, it is something we're going to hear about a lot in the next little while. Uh, so that's my recommendation. Get informed on the Canada Pension Plan and a potential Alberta potential, uh, pension plan. Something could be coming. And pension plan is full of peas, which is why I love it even more. And it's Indeed. just perfect for this episode. That is all the time we have for today. Any feedback or thoughts or like your favorite pancake recipes? You can send them to me. I'm uh, not that interested in fluffy animals, but I do like food. Um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Press Gallery. <laughs>